You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. TechMan Podcast number 292. I'm Tim Robertson. I'm David Cohen. And uh, David, we've talked about this for the last two weeks. We're going to discuss it, and we are. That's The big topic this week is the DC Superheroes universe on the big screen and the small screen somewhat. Yeah. Um, we do have another feature. The second half of the show, at least the last 15 minutes or so, is going to be an interview with Larry O'Connor. He is the CEO of um, com, And I actually recorded this interview last week, right at the end of episode 191, when we actually finished the show. I sat down with Larry, you know, virtually, and yes. uh, did a 15-minute interview with him. Cool. You know, one of the things that we wanted, I wanted to get him on the show and talk about was that new, uh, <clears throat> the DEC, the deck from OWC. And that's going to be uh, a big topic. Excellent. It'd be quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So if you're not into comic books and superheroes and movies and that sort of thing, then fast forward to the end of that and you'll get some tech stuff for this week. Yep. It's basically the last 16 minutes of the show. Okay. <laughs> so let's dive right in, David. <clears throat> you and I, obviously, we both, uh, we like geek culture. You know, mm-hmm. we uh, we like retro stuff. We like comic books. We like movies. We And let's be honest, I, a lot of people are like that now. I mean, if they weren't, Ooh. these movies wouldn't do as well. That's right, yeah. And Marvel kind of set the standard. A decade ago, when they released the first Iron Man movie, and they built upon the success of that movie with subsequent movies, not just uh, more Iron Man, but Captain America, Thor, Ant-Man, the Avengers. I mean, they've been on kind of a, a roll that, quite honestly, from the outside looking in, looks like it's only going to continue. Uh, it looks like Avengers Infinity Wars coming out, I believe, next year. Yeah. Um, looks like it's just going to keep this going and it's very exciting it it is i think you know nobody could argue how successful they've been and and right back at the beginning when they first started this we all thought they were crazy <laughs> i mean we really thought they were crazy and for a start i mean iron man was an odd choice to start with because he's he wasn't well really a lot of these characters from the marvel universe are not that well known right and um, they didn't have absolutely. complete control of all their intellectual property screen rights i.e. they did not have spider-man or his rogue villains they didn't have the x-men and let's be honest when it comes to marvel for many 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 years those were the big two the x-men with wolverine and spider-man that's what people wanted to see and other companies made those movies yeah that that's really what people knew everybody had heard of spider-man a a lesser number of people but many people had heard of the x-men um not not as many people that have heard of Iron Man, um, and then I can't, Captain America yet is a big one. But again, I would argue nowhere near as big as uh, some of the stuff on the DC side. And so, certainly, you look at who's in the Avengers. Yeah, everyone's heard of the Hulk because, of, uh, but mo- many people have heard of the Hulk not because they read comics, because they saw a TV series in the seventies. Exactly. Um, you know, um, <clears throat> but everyone knows who Superman and Batman are. So Marvel really had an uphill battle. And, uh, yeah, some of the some of the guys in the Avengers, Thor, Hawkeye, Black Widow, are, are people like you. you. You had to go look them up the first time you came across them because you didn't know who they were. But Marvel's um, done such a fantastic job that those are household names at this point. Yeah, and absolutely. And so you would think, knowing that, DC would have a much easier time of it because, let's be honest, the modern superhero movie really began in 1989. That's when the modern superhero came to the forefront and became blockbuster type of material. And that um, was... No, yeah, it was I mean, 1989 I mean, I and it was... I would suggest that the, the original seven, late 70s, early 80s Superman movies, particularly the first two, um, could probably hold their head up in that in that same... But they didn't do Same anything breath. with it. That's that's kind of my point. Well, they, well that, the, the the thing is 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 uh, Superman was interesting in that 
in that the uh, rights to Superman weren't even owned really by a studio. They were owned by the production company that was run by a couple of people, and they, you know, vociferously held on to those rights. So they weren't able to do anything apart from more Superman movies, and look what happened with Superman is that it got worse and worse the more of the movies they did. But the, I would say the first two movies are probably the original modern superhero movies um even though they kind of did their thing and then kind of faded away well that's why it's kind of what i was getting to that they were uh, kind of an ab- aborted try that well, it, I, it didn't I, jump I start think, it. i don't think at, back then anybody was thinking of franchise building or world building or no. anything they were thinking of one movie at a time mm-hmm. or you know i mean have actually superman one and two were almost filmed back to back yeah um but uh, effectively, that was because of internal problems at the studio uh, and with the production company that ended up them splitting its two movies rather than one. Um, but but effectively, nobody nobody has come at this. Even you know, nineteen eighty nine with the original Batman movie, nobody has come at this with what Marvel did, which is to say, we we're going to do one movie, but we've got a plan for ten. Well, here's and, where and I, they're all they're all they're all in the same universe, right? Nobody's covered it like that before. So, with 1989's Batman release, it did something that not the, the Superman simply didn't do. They actually cast big names in the big roles. Now, if you remember back to 1989, we were both just coming out of high school. There was no internet. There was no message boards. But do you remember the conversations you would have with your friends? Michael Keaton is Batman. Michael Keaton, admit, the comedian. Yeah, when I first heard about it, I mean, it was it was slightly different for me because I was traveling back and forth between the states and the UK. So I, I would go back, and that this was back when I mean, nowadays movies come out in the UK before they come out in the US sometimes. But yeah, right. back then, it was like four, five, six months often between movies coming out in the states and the and the UK. So when I that summer when I arrived in the US and Batman was coming on, um, nobody in the UK had even really heard of it. Um, it wasn't it wasn't being promoted or anything like that. So the first I heard of it was when I arrived here in the US that summer. And I, yes, I remember thinking, Michael Keaton, Batman? How how does that work? Now, so Jack I, Nicholson I was, yeah, as I the was Joker concerned. was, I think, every, universally, everyone was like, oh my God, Jack Nicholson's going to be the Joker? That's awesome. But I don't know about Mike Keaton as as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. But it wasn't just that. It was eighty nine was the summer of Batman. I mean, think about all the the T shirts and the marketing that went along with the cereal. I mean, it was everywhere, including the radio. They got arguably the number one guy in music in nineteen eighty nine, Prince, who was just coming off, you know. A huge decade, half decade, and he was at the top. The only guy I could say was maybe bigger would have been Michael Jackson. But even by 89, people were getting a little, ugh. Um, And he did the soundtrack. So, I mean, it was a huge event. It was a huge movie. They followed it up. The second one was okay, and then it got progressively worse. Mm. And that kind of became the theme of superhero movies. They would release a halfway decent one and then it would get progressively worse and then they would just simply reboot it. With Batman, they just put somebody else in the bat suit and continued on and it really didn't have anything to do with the movies that came before. They were, they were kind yeah. of standalone, but they weren't. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, they. I, I actually saw a clip just the other day from the um, George Clooney Batman movie and... Oh man! Even just five seconds of it is really bad. Yeah, yeah, Clooney just looks really uncomfortable in the role, and then everything that going going on around him is just ridiculous. Uh, it, it, it was it was like a pantomime. It was it was just awful. It really was awful. Um, and to to think where it started from that series with with the original Batman Tim Burton Batman movie, which was incredibly well realized for a superhero movie of particularly of that time yeah um one of the things that kind of for me made that movie great wasn't um the performances 
some of the performances I think in that film are fantastic. Some of them are again are pretty awful um, in the original one. But uh, the the core performances, uh, I thought, you know, Nicholson really captured the mania of the Joker, and, and of course he did because that's that's part of his his big shtick. Um, but I thought Michael Keaton was excellent in that. But but really, what made it for me in that movie was the kind of the world they built around those characters was very gritty for for a superhero movie that time and it, and it kind of worked you really believed that keaton could be batman in that kind of environment yeah the problem part of the problem was um over the years they kind of dropped away from that and it just came became more about spectacle and stunts and less about uh kind of believability and it just got came to the point where you know uh, they, the, in the in the final batman and robin movie the the world they lived in was was unrealistic uh, completely unrealistic even for a comic book movie you know i mean it was all kind of weird towers and like, oh it's just uh, yeah. it's my, horrible my memory my, it hurts my brain to even think about it yep. it's awful yeah so that was the state of superhero movies for a while and then 11 years later in 2000 fox acquires the rights and releases the very first x-men movie and again it was groundbreaking at the time. There was no spandex. They were in all leather, very much the Matrix inspired. And things seemed to be going in the right direction, and then they weren't anymore. And in well, the meantime. I've got to be honest with you, I always found the original, the first X Men movie, actually slightly underwhelming, um, in that I felt it didn't really have enough kind of X Men action in it for me. Um, I, well, that I was actually, still a time where they were scared of superheroes because of what had happened with DC and their offerings. Yeah. They didn't want to go bright clad because everybody would associate that type of a look with what was going on in Batman and Robin and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, all these campy performances in the Batman movie. And they wanted to stay away from that as far as they could. And I think they they kind of wanted to marry that idea with the kind of grittiness of the Matrix, and I think they succeeded in that. Yeah, they did. It's just I I think as a story, I I find um, and and this is actually a, a problem with a lot of superhero movies is the structure of the stories are is is really difficult to pull off properly because it so often it is kind of the first act is is an origin. The second act is kind of settling in, and then the final act is the kind of the big finale. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, my my particular problem with with I think the original X Men movie is it, it followed that far too slavishly, um, coupled with the fact they had so many characters in it, and they you know they kind of gave everyone a little bit of time, um, uh, but they just didn't have an awful lot to do. I felt, and so the kind of big payoff at the end of, of all the X Men getting together and trying to fight you know stop stop the baddie uh, for me just didn't it just didn't ring ring particularly true I, I i wasn't i wasn't enthusiastic about that movie but i recognize how good it was it just wasn't particularly my cup of tea so i think the x-men kind of started strong and then like most other franchises they kind of petered out they got better again in my opinion when we got to first class when they kind yeah. of almost rebooted the whole idea and yet still had the combination of the original movies. It was, they were related. I mean, you see the young characters walk into a, an, a bar and there's Hugh Jackman. Yeah. You know, so they did have that connection. And in the meantime, right. nothing was really happening with DC with the exception of Batman. So they come out with arguably the two best Batman movies of all time, Batman Begins, which I think is better than the first Keaton movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, then yeah. It, it, we thought, wow, they finally got Batman right. I hope they don't mess it up, which they eventually did with the last one. Mm. Um, but then you get, I think, maybe the... Hmm, see, this is this is hard for me to say arguably the best superhero movie of all time, The Dark Knight. It, it, it was just brilliant. Well, yeah, I, th I think things really came together on The Dark Knight. You know, a, a good script, um, Batman's best villain, 
um, a, a truly outstanding performance, particularly Heath Ledger Heath made Heath Ledger. He made Jack Nicholson look comical. Oh yeah, well that that but that was kind of what he pulled off. Is 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 the they reinvented the Joker? Yeah, um, in a way that that really really works. I mean, obviously, Batman Begins. Uh, funnily enough, I watched a um, um, a kind of uh, what what's what are they called now? The um, I forget now the the one where they they do a spoof trailer of the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Points out their flaws. Oh, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, they did that for Batman Begins, um, and I actually just watched it last night, um, and it's pretty good because it, you know, it pretty much nails everything uh, about how great it was, and then kind of how they blew it a tiny little bit in the final act in terms of the whole thing was meant to be gritty and realistic, and then the final act it kind of went off, <laughs> excuse yeah. the pun, but went off the rails a little bit. But um, nevertheless, yes, uh, Batman Begins I think is is underrated and. But one of the reasons for that is because of the tower that is the Dark Knight, which it, you're you're absolutely right. Not only is it one of, of the f- finest superhero movies of all time, it's actually um, a fantastic film just on its own merit, despite the fact that it's about a superhero. Um, not perfect, but it you know it really is truly a, an amazing, uh, amazing movie. Um, and you're right, they completely <laughs> blew expectations on the one by just. Well, the the third one wow. was just so bad. Yeah. I mean, it it's yeah. and, and it could have been so much more, but it just I don't know. I it, tried it, too it, hard. It, that, yeah. that was the problem. Is it it really? You could tell they they recognized the weight of what they had achieved previously, and they just tried so hard to recapture that. And it's a case of one of those things where the the harder you try, the the work the the more you fail. Yeah, yeah. it it was unfortunate. So when they kind of came out with not too long after that last Batman movie, they're going to reboot Superman. The first couple trailers for that first Superman movie, I was really excited about. I thought this is going to be good. And when the movie finally came out, here's a relatively unknown actor. And, uh, And yes, I skipped right over the... Brandon Routh Superman stalker video or movie that that was just bad. Um, I I actually kind of like Man of Steel. Uh, I didn't hate it as much as some people seem to hate it. I thought it was pretty good. I thought the character was inconsistent. Um, I thought they got Paul Kent completely wrong. Yeah, but overall, I liked the movie. And I thought it would have been a good starting point. I thought after this, they need to really establish why he does what he does, Superman. Um, They have to establish that he's the ultimate Boy Scout. He's always going to do the right thing. And if he's in a situation where he can't do the right thing, it really, really does have a profound effect on him as a person. Which is why when he kills Zod at the end of the first Man of Steel movie... You know, it really, really bothers them. It's not who Superman is. But they never established that that's who Superman is, so it, it rang a little hollow in that movie when he kills him. Yeah, I I think they really suffered from the fact that they needed a follow-up movie from Man of Steel to to complete the character's journey. Right, um, and we never got that. We never got that. Instead, we went straight into Batman vs. Superman, where effectively the character needs to be established to make the whole Batman versus Superman thing work. Um, and it, and it wasn't, you know, if you've got a Superman who's already for a start, when you've got a character who is, who is a God and yet is unsure of himself, you, that is a tension that, that dramatically just doesn't really work. Mm, I would disagree. I, I think it, I think it should work extremely well if the story is crafted around that point. And that was the problem. They came up with this idea that Superman is unsure of himself. He doesn't necessarily want to be this messiah-ish figure, but he kind of has to be simply because of who he is and what he can do. And he's uncomfortable in his own skin because of it. That Superman isn't really who he is. He is Clark. But they don't establish that. They don't take the time to explore that. They no, take that the basic idea and they just throw him into a situation where he never smiles. 
he he's brooding all the time. He's more dark than than the Dark Knight. Yeah. Well, the, the difference is if you look at the beginning of Batman versus Superman, the reason that he's darker than the Dark Knight is because Batman is is an aged Batman. He knows exactly who he is and what he wants to do. Right. He, he's he's you know he he's comfortable with with the choices he's made. That's the real problem with with the Superman in the DC universe at the moment is that. He hasn't made many choices for himself. He's had all these choices imposed on him, and he's not resolved that in his own head. Um, and, and as you say, that should be interesting, but it does. It, but it, it doesn't work. And, the, and as you say, the reason it doesn't work is because they don't allow the character to kind of to kind of travel inside that kind of position to to come to even a, a, any form of accommodation they just constantly throw things at him throw things at him and it, it, to me it's it's part of part of the appeal of superman is that he in the comics here is here is a godlike being and yet a lot of what he deals with is is fairly perfunctory and day to day you know they they are the things that happen in in real life the, the original comics the silver age comics he's dealing with robberies and and you know, general bad guys and that sort of thing. He's not saving the planet every week. Right. That comes later. And I, and I think to establish Superman as a uh, as a Boy Scout, you need to have him doing perfunctory things because those are the things that kind of ground a person. And he never gets an opportunity to do that, despite the fact that he's had this upbringing that apparently hasn't really imposed or affected him properly. Because the whole point about Superman's mythos is that is that the fact that he was raised in a loving human family in a in a very kind of home spun way kind of helps ground himself when he finds he can do all these amazing things, and despite the fact that, that he lived through that in in the in the Man of Steel movie, he doesn't it doesn't seem to have taken anything from it. Well, you could you could it, say I that, go beyond that. The conflict conflict with with Park Kent, but as you say, that's a bad decision anyway because. They they make Park Kent come across as an ogre. Well, an you know, ogre could, who's you paranoid. These, you and... can do all these things. You must never do. Them. Yes, yes. It, it makes <laughs> you know? no sense. It's like, yeah. Oh, don't stay. There's this huge tornado. Stay there. Let go ahead and let me die. Let, let people die. Yeah. It makes no sense. It was so bad. You're like, really? That's not what Park Kent would be about. So we get to Superman v Batman. We understand who Batman is. They don't try to reinvent this character. And everyone seems to universally agree Ben Affleck's done a fantastic job as Batman in this movie. Except they completely reinvented Batman in this movie. Batman does not kill. His parents were murdered right in front of him. And it changes young Bruce Wayne's life profoundly from that moment on. He is going to fight crime. He is against killing. And then in Superman v. Batman, all he does is murder everybody. He drives his Batmobile through people's bodies. Well, you know what? You could argue uh, the um, the honest tra- oh, it's honest trailers that I was talking yeah. about before. The honest trailer I saw for Batman Begins actually does point out that um, even if he doesn't directly kill people in Batman Begins... Uh, the amount of destruction he causes uh, is probably pretty lethal to an awful lot of people, including innocent people. So uh, I can, I think I understand what they were trying to do with with Batman's actions in Batman versus Superman. I think they were trying to say, despite the fact that he's so incensed by what, because I mean, because one of the things that drives him in that movie is that he's so angry about the casual destruction in Man of Steel. With you know hundreds of thousands of people killed as as these two as these Kryptonians fight in the middle of a city, despite the fact on on you know on his own level he's he's capable of indirectly killing people as well. The problem is that clearly I think that was what was in the script and what they were going for, and then when it actually got to doing the action the set pieces they kind of got carried away with the explosions and the shootings and the and the runnings down and all this sort of thing and and they kind of forgot that nuance and then then it became batman just killing people or allowing people to be killed um, or superman allowing bad guys to get away just so he can shake a stern figure finger at batman the, i mean the it problem, just made no I, see, sense. See, I still think that having batman and superman in the same movie at this stage was a mistake i totally agree and you know yeah. why they did it is because all dc all warner brothers what they're trying to do 
is make up for the mistake of the last 15 years when they clearly could have been building their cohesive universe already. They're trying to rush everything and get to the Justice League so they can say, look, us too. And they can cash in on that Avengers money. And it's been financially successful, although not as successful as it could have been. But they're simply chasing the dollar rather than taking the long view and going, you know, we're going to make smaller movies that's going to not do as well, but we're going to establish these characters. See, this is this is the brilliance of what Marvel has done. They have had creative leadership where it's so clear that they respect the source material, but they're not married to it. What works, they'll keep. What doesn't, they'll throw out. But more importantly, it's the characters. It's the characters you have to establish that you have to want to like. And like we said last week, you're not supposed to like Tony Stark at the beginning of Iron Man. I mean, he's 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 a drunkard. <clears throat> he's a, a weapons dealer. He's not a nice guy. And through the course of one movie, he wants to atone for the things that he's done. He's still not a a, a good guy. Yeah, he's but still, he's trying. I mean, yeah, he he basically he transitions from being you know an amoral dick to just being a dick. Right. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what he. But his character he's, hasn't. He's always. Yeah, he's always going to cut down people in the room. Yeah. He's always going to tr- belittle them, make them small, and make make them feel inferior to him. That's just that is That's the who person he is. he is. But that character um, hasn't stopped growing through how many yeah. movies has Tony Stark, played by Ronnie, Robert Downey Jr., been in now? Seven. Yeah, it's it's at least seven, right? So you've got three Iron Mans, you have two Avengers, you have Captain America: Civil War. Uh, so that's six right there. Am I missing any? It seems like I'm um, missing something. No, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I think, I think that's all of them. Yeah. But you know, he's going to have a cameo in Spider-Man because they've yep. already showed in the trailer for Spider-Man, there's Iron Man. So he's in there. Uh, so there's seven. He's going to be in again, Avengers, the, the, Infinity Wars. The, the advantage of, of this kind of, you know, single universe approach, having Tony Stark, take um spider-man under his wing and help equip him and everything makes total sense yes it makes far more sense than it ever did in the comics that he Mm -hmm. was able to create these magic web shooters yeah just because he was a clever high school science kid you know it 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 makes far more sense that he gets he gets um you know help from a a, a multi-billionaire who's into superheroes has his own superhero gig and also understands nanotechnology and everything completely it makes it makes far more sense than it does for any of the other solutions to spider-man's gear in the past and also it makes more sense for spider-man's journey to uh you know to go from being you know a kid who's just trying to stop robbers on the street to get the opportunity to work you're working the whole Avengers set up and everything. It makes more sense for that character's growth as well. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you remember you the Spider-Man trailer that came out a few months ago. It looks like a brilliant movie. It it does have a John Hughes type of flavor to it. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, Marvel is doing so well. Can't wait to DC kind of starts taking these much more established, much more universally recognized characters and doing these kind of things with them. And instead, it's almost like DC has decided to go in reverse order. Let's throw all these characters together that you don't care about because we've never established who they are, their motivations, any supporting characters that mean anything. Let's just throw it all together just to get it out there. And then, you know what, afterwards we'll we'll make a Flash movie or we'll make a Batman movie. And this has been the problem that DC has had for the last few years, and I think it's only going to get worse. I don't see it getting better. And here's here's the ironic part. They had, in their own pocket, an established universe and how to do it for the last 25 years. And that was Tim Story and those guys who started with Batman, the animated adventure, in, I believe, 89, 90, 
Mm-hmm. And they continue the same type of art style with the same voice actors and everything through how many different cartoon series? And it's brilliant. It's It was so good stuff. And it was a cartoon. And it was better than anything in the movies. Yeah. And and up until that point, all of the stuff that Marvel was releasing in cartoons was terrible. It's, yeah. it's better now. But the movies are still better. And yet DC's cartoons are still better than their movies. So they had the blueprint right there. And if that wasn't bad enough, they they let some people, Berlanti, take the Flash, take Arrow, take the Legends of Tomorrow, take Supergirl on TV and make these characters so much better than anything you've seen in the movies. Yeah. Why? Why know, do they have know, to recast? And, and, then, and then, when when they want to bring some of those characters to the big screen, they say, "Oh, we're going to do them differently." Yeah, we're going to. It's going to be totally different. The <laughs> totally Flash different. is going to have some kind of an armor thing, which makes zero sense. Um, it, it, I I don't understand. You you have this established now cast of characters. Are here's DC's. Well, that's TV. That doesn't matter. The big money's in movies. Oh, okay. So the people that watch TV show don't go to the movies. Yeah. Really? So if you came out with a movie that's Superman, you, you Superman v. Batman, exactly the same movie, except when Batman, Bruce Wayne, or Wonder Woman, I think it was Wonder Woman, opens the file and she sees the one that's the Flash, if it would have been a scene from the Flash TV show, what do you think the result would have been? What do you think the reaction oh, would have been? I think it would have been huge. Oh, my God. People would have been you know, freaking out. Because the out. Flash TV show is extremely popular with very good reason. Yes, it's, it's brilliant. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's well written. It's extremely well acted by everybody who's in it. Pretty much everybody who's in it uh, acts their pants off on that show. Yep. This For a TV budget series, the special effects and the, and the things they do are amazing. Yeah, it's a great... And, and again, they've... They've done some proper world building. They've thought about where their character lives and works and, and how it works and everything. It's all grounded. And they're dealing with some very complicated stuff on The Flash. Yep. They're dealing with parallel universes and time travel and the sort of thing that, that often doesn't really work very well on TV because it gets so confusing. And they're pulling it off. You know the best Batman I've seen in many, many years? By far? Stephen Arnett but, playing Arrow. Yeah. I mean, it, that's not Oliver Queen. That's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I mean, it. I think they made a huge mistake by keeping it what it was. They were they were making Batman. They were just calling him Green Arrow. Yeah. Uh, it, it's brilliant. It really, really is. Yeah. Again, another great show. Um, and and the the characters had development. He's had space to move. He's had a different uh, assemblage of characters around him. They've been able to uh, use use different stuff from the comics and bring it together. It's it's been really really well done. And again, another huge hit. Yep. And then Legends of Tomorrow. It's a great. I think it's a really great show. Yeah. I've not. I've not. I I kind of got to the point in the Flash where. They were starting to cross over with Legends of Tomorrow, but I've not had time to watch Legends of Tomorrow yet. So it's um, really good. It's really good. The, the the weakest link I think is Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like Supergirl the girl is, is, as as Supergirl. She's fantastic, but her supporting characters and the stories that they've been telling were just boring. Yeah, I, I think I think Supergirl is. You're right, and and the reason is because they went for a much more conventional approach to yep. that, which is, you know, villain of the week type stuff, um, and with with a little bit of overarching kind of menace to it for the for the season, and it, it's not as successful. Well, I but think having she, said that, I think that's a tough. The, it's a tougher character to pull off. Oh well, um, yes, as know. a solo act, yes, I think Supergirl. Honestly, she should be on. Arrow or Flash, she, that that should be the show she's on. Mm-hmm. It would make the character better. But DC, instead of looking at the success and the huge fan base they have for the WB shows, decided they have to reinvent it for the big screen, and they did it in the worst possible way, and they put people in charge who clearly don't care about the characters... Well, I, no, I think they do care about the I characters. I don't think they do. They, they they spin it 
with their own prejudices and um, likes and that sort of thing. You know, Zack Snyder, he likes to make a statement with everything he does. And uh, he likes to change things for the sake of changing them, just so he can say, I changed it. Um, and I, I think particularly the last movie really, really suffered from that. And yet, um, with universally everyone not really liking that movie, they let him go ahead and make the next one, too. <laughs> I, I don't I don't understand that a bit. But here's no, the thing. I, they, I, I, DC to be honest, really Snyder's overall career, I really don't understand. I don't either. Uh, because because I think he's I think he's hugely overrated. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and and yeah, I think he's he's made some terrible terrible movies. Yeah. Um, and and he just keeps every time upward. he does every time he does that, he's just given a pass. Well, he keeps failing upwards. I don't understand it either. Yeah. And here's um, the thing. DC knows how to really make awesome trailers from these horrible movies. The The first couple of the, the trailers up to Batman Superman looked brilliant. Like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Suicide Squad trailers, they were amazing. Yeah. I'd rather watch their trailers than the movie. And I, I, I actually enjoyed Suicide Squad. My son Cole loves it. But... It's not a great movie. There's so many flaws in that movie. So many things that just doesn't make any sense at all. And yet, it's the same people in charge again. Here we go again. We're, we're going to get the same thing. Why do you have any confidence that the next Justice League movie coming out this year is going to be worth anything at all to watch? No. Uh, and I think this is, to be honest with you, this is the problem they're going to face, is that uh, the more that they do this, where movies get hugely hyped up and then they're disappointing, then the less people are going to go see the following ones. And it becomes a vicious circle because they're spending so much money um, making and promoting these movies. And um, they've got to make the money back. And... You know, it doesn't take much of a dip in an audience from from bad word of mouth for them to not be able to make money on these movies. Even if they still take a huge, even if they take half a billion dollars in the box office, that's not enough for it to be financially successful. Nope. nope you know, it's not. and and they, they, the reason they've been putting the same people in charge of them is because at the moment they look at the bank balance and they say, well, it doesn't matter if they get bad bad reviews because they they still bring in enough coin. Right. But but that is. You know, if, if, you're not, if, you, if you're not getting, yeah, if you're not getting positive reviews, then and you're trying to you're trying to do world building, <laughs> you basically you're building a crappy world. That's the issue. It's so disappointing because, again, these are the most recognizable superheroes the world over. Everybody knows who Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman are, and I actually like some of the ideas that I've seen. I think the idea behind cyborg looks kind of interesting from the brief moment we saw him. I think what we saw of the guy playing flash in the justice league movie looks interesting. I, I really do. Mm -hmm. And I think turning Aquaman away from an orange shirt, green sh pants looking blonde guy into what we're seeing. I think that's a really good idea. I think that yeah. has to happen. If you want to make Aquaman any kind of a, a cool character, this is exactly the way to do it. And I don't know. I don't. I the new Wonder Woman trailer looks okay, but it, it looks kind of like well, you know what? Let's go back and see what Marvel did to launch Captain America, and let's kind of ape mm. that. Yeah, there is that. Um, I have to say, I, I thought I thought her performance in. And um, Batman vs Superman was one of the best things in the movie. But what did she do? Uh, she didn't do well, anything in the, the movie. Fact, the fact that she didn't really assist the story is the fault of the script. But I thought her actual performance, in terms of her characterization of an of an, an ancient woman who's always the smartest, the strongest in the room, is uh, was absolutely spot on for what you want for Wonder Woman. Um, but and, I never uh, saw that. I, all I saw was her at a dinner party. And then I saw her on an airplane for a minute and looking at some files on a computer. It seemed very mysterious. 
And then she shows up at the last second to help fight Doomsday. Yeah, I, as I, as I said, I think I think at the party she demonstrated that you know she was the one calling the shot. She was she was far ahead of everybody else who was there. Uh, and again in the fight scene as well, she turned up because she knew bad things were happening. She knew they would need her help. Um, and despite the fact nobody knew who the hell she was, she absolutely held her own. Yeah, I, I you know I I thought I thought that worked for the character because you know what. This is what we need. We need everybody knows the, who these characters are. We don't need loads of exposition about who they are and what they want and their motivations and everything. Lay it out very quickly and then let's get on with it. That's what they need to do. Instead of this, you know, constant I disagree with you to a certain extent. I don't want to see another Spider-Man origin story, okay? No, I don't want to see anybody's origin story at this point. It's been massively overdone. I think we need to redefine what an origin story is. Ant-Man was a caper movie. Yeah. Right? But it's still an origin story. Mm-hmm. And you cared it's, about but, it. But even then, the, the real yes it was a caper movie and it was an origin story, but actually the whole the whole parts of it which weren't because it becomes very clear very early on in the movie in Ant-Man that um all of this stuff has happened before with different characters, with Hank Pym and his wife. Right. And, and they don't kind of go into a lot of that, except when it, when it facilitates the plot of this one. They don't spend, you know, you don't have half an hour flashback showing Hank Pym developing uh, the technology or anything like that. It just kind of gets mentioned as an aside, and then as it becomes more central to the story, you find more about it. Yep. And, and I be, thought that and was you know a brilliant why? way Because it. Marvel cares about the characters, and they st- care about the story arc. And they care about making you like these characters. So when they come back in, when you're watching Civil War's trailer and you see Ant-Man, you're like, oh my God, Ant-Man's going to be in it. That's so awesome. And then when he does show up, he is exactly the way he was in Ant-Man. He shakes Captain America's hand and I'm shaking your hand way too long, aren't I? I mean, yeah. it was totally in character. You you completely believe that that is him, you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. It's consistency. That's who Ant Man is. He cannot become the Dark Knight. He can't do that. He can't yeah. become the civil the symbol of liberty like Captain America or the Playboy billionaire Tony Stark. That's not who he is. He's kind of a screw up. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's a smart ass screw up. Who has a wicked sense of humor? That's who Ant Man is. You know he's still going to do the right thing, even if it costs yeah. him. Yeah, because you know he's turned his life around. That's right. and this is part of him turning his life around. And you know he's going to do the right thing, even though it scares the crap out of him, and he doesn't really want to do it. Yeah, he's still going to do it. Yep. Name one character in the DC movie universe that you think anything like that about. Just one. No. I can't. Perry can't. White, maybe. Actually, I think his performance was probably one of the best things in Superman. Yeah, and, and, and guess and, what? Justice League? They yeah. said, oh, yeah, he's not going to be in it. No, he's got to be in it. Yeah. Why would We've you? got too much else going on. We haven't got time for it. Well, he was too busy making the next John Wick movie. <laughs> because he had to reu- reunite with Keanu Reeves. Yeah. So here's, an, here, here's a, a question for you. You know it's it's Warner Brothers who owns the rights to the Matrix. W- what would you think about a new Matrix movie? Put it in the hands of a different creator because I think they kind of the first well, Matrix they, movie was brilliant, then it just went bad. Yeah, well, they, it suffered from the same problem as uh, as, as some of these movies. other movies we're well, talking about. You know, the Matrix is a superhero and then, movie, and then kind of no nowhere to go. Right. I I don't think. I don't think the the original Matrix needs remaking. That's that's the point. Well, I didn't why, say to remake why, the. Why remake I said make another is, Matrix movie. I didn't say remake it. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? They wouldn't do that nowadays. Everyone would. Everyone's all about the reboot. So they would. They wouldn't be able to resist rebooting it first. Um, that's part of the problem, because as I say, I don't believe the original Matrix movie uh, needs remaking. The performances are fine. The story is amazing as it ever was. The um, Special effects hold up, and the only reason, really, the Matrix, if you watch it nowadays, you th- might think it looked a little bit tired is because it's been copied so much. But, um, 
yeah i again I, the where do you take that story I, I mean i think that was part of the part of the problem with the sequels to the matrix is that where do you take that story once you've established that you've created a, a superhuman character inside the matrix who knows he can be outside the matrix and then you've got to you've got to you know I mean, the, the problem is that the the, there's a there's a fundamental flaw which which they didn't really address in the final film. With that is that if you destroy the matrix, you're effectively killing all the people who are in it, and uh, at, at worst or at best, you're consigning them to a, a miserable life in a in a world with no infrastructure. They might be free, but they're going to have a crappy life. Or um, in order to in order to destroy destroy them from enslavement, it it. it Fundamentally, I think that whole thing is a weak premise. It worked fine for the first movie because you've got the surprise discovery of, of what's actually going on around you. But after you've kind of gone there, I don't think you can go anywhere with it. And I think that's why they struggle in the second and third movies. I agree. Because they kept following Neo as the main character, and I think that was the mistake. I think the second movie, if there was going to do it, should have just taken place in that universe from a different perspective on what's ostensibly a superhero at that point, right? Because if you're living in the matrix, Neo is a superhero. You know, I, I, I think there would, I think there's still something they could do in that universe. I just think I, I, he you know cannot I be the central do, character. I think they should do a, an agent Smith series. That it's not yeah. a bad idea. Do it, do it from the perspective of, of the sentient computer program that's desperately fighting to fix the holes in the matrix. That would be, to me, would be far more interesting. And he's a great you know, actor or, too. Yeah, he's a great actor. He's a great, it's a great, and Agent Smith's a great concept. Yeah. Well, you know, in, introduce a new, a new bad. You know, have have the Matrix being attacked by some alien third party, um, and and he's got to stop it from inside the Matrix. That would be far more interesting to me than doing anything else with Neo. Yeah. And you know what? I don't think Keanu Reeves would go back to that character now. I no, really he's don't. kind of a reinvented who he is at this point with some of his, the, I think the John wick movie was the first one was great. The second one looks really good too. And it's just a fun turn off your brain and yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. So that's our take on the DC extended universe. I think I speak for David where we're not, we have no confidence in, in the leadership of, of Warner brothers and DC to, to do what's right for these characters. I think the events of the last few weeks where Ben Affleck has, announced that he's not going to direct the uh, standalone Batman movie. I think that speaks volumes. When that people close to absolute volumes. And people close to Affleck has planted the seeds and some other people saying he doesn't even want to be Batman anymore. Well, you know what? If he's worked on Justice League and he thinks it's going to be more of a disaster, he he really took it quite badly the negative the negativity of Batman versus Superman. I think he, I think he was disappointed with the result. Um, and, uh, you know, look, look, the guy's a, an Oscar winning filmmaker. He must know, he must be able to see the flaws in, in that movie as, as much as everybody else. Plus he's a superhero fan. Yeah. You know, I'm sure he must be disappointed with the outcome of that movie. Um, he was signed to do justice league and he went in and did it. And, um, Maybe that's coloured his decision about sticking with this universe. Who knows? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. If we've got more of the same, and consequently he's thinking, you know what, I need to unhitch myself from this wagon before it pulls me over the edge of the cliff. They should get Michael Keaton to come back and be Batman. <laughs> you want to see a good Michael Keaton movie? Watch The Founder. Yeah, no, I, ha- I, I, I have it, have it in my my queue to watch. I'm looking forward to it. Really good. So with that, David and I are going to wrap up this segment of Tech Fan. Coming up next is going to be my interview with Larry O'Connor, again from uh, OWCMaxSales.com. We're going to be talking about the OWC deck. We're going to talk about uh, some Apple stuff. Uh, I think it's good stuff. I think you guys will like it. We do want to have feedback from you guys for the next episode. Um, We may skip a week because David can't do next week. I might do a solo show. I might bring someone else in, or he might just take a a week's vacation. Either way, you can send your comments. Let let us know what you think is wrong with the DC Universe. Did we miss anything? Did we not talk about something that's like so obvious that we should have caught that? Let us know. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. Or you can hit us up at techfanpodcast.com or mymac.com. 
And uh, quick plug, uh, David and I are both going to be in Woodstock, Illinois, uh, for Stock this coming summer. What is that, July? Uh, yeah, July. 17th of July, I think. 17th of July. Uh, I'm going to be doing the MyMac Quiz Show with Guy Searle. And David is going to do a uh, talk about uh, the Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. Should be fun. Yeah. So to that. with that, we will uh, wrap up the segment, and uh, we'll be right back with Larry O'Connor. Amazon, Google, Apple, Android, iOS, Alexa, Siri, technology, sci-fi, video games, tablets, computers, flash drives, toys, weather, and general silliness. Geekiest show ever, every week on the MyMac Podcasting Network. As promised, I do have uh, Larry O'Connor from Otherworld Computing. Now, is it Otherworld Computing or is it OWC Digital now? No, it's Otherworld Computing. Uh, you know, MaxSales.com would be our uh, direct uh, channel. It's uh, OWC uh, is our, our brand, uh, I say, uh, projection, so to speak. So it's just OWC, OWC and, uh, and Otherworld Computing. Otherworld Computing is the mothership, so to speak, but OWC is the brand of our, uh, our solutions. One of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you, Larry, is a few weeks ago now, you guys came out with a news release, and I got really, really excited. Now, I'm a little biased because I've had you know a past relationship with OWC, and you guys are still a sponsor of TechFan. But putting all of that aside, when I saw you guys came out with this announcement for the OWC deck, I said... I I have to talk to Larry about this. This thing is amazing. You guys are doing something that nobody else in the industry is doing right now, and that's taking arguably really nice Apple hardware and making it even better. But can you you describe for uh, the tech fan listeners what the OWC deck is? Sure. The deck is an attachment that... uh that that is placed on. I mean, the how to say you the, the screws come out of the bottom of the new 2016 MacBook Pros. You put the deck uh, on it, and then uh, new screws attach the deck to the the bottom plate. There's no button. You don't have to remove anything from the uh, the MacBook Pro. It doesn't void the warranty, but it's an easy, uh, very easy permanent attachment for off record purposes. They can be removed. That allows additional storage inside. As well as all the ports that are, uh, say all the ports, but a bunch of the ports that are uh, are missing from uh, today's latest Mac. And for pros, you know, going out into the field, you know, it's it's really from all the feedback, it's a godsend because you know dongles and uh, having to worry about different adapters and you know carry-alongs. I mean, th- this solves it and gives people a real solution that they can they can travel with. So it's it's an expansion for the current generation of MacBook Pro. But it's not an external expansion necessarily. I mean, it kind of is technically, but it's not because it's attached to the MacBook Pro, so it goes where the computer goes. Yeah, we're giving the the new MacBook Pro profile that's very similar. In fact, just maybe a, a smidge thinner than the 2012 uh, model year MacBook Pros. So it's still extremely reasonable. It weighs, you know, we're adding about a pound. It'll come in at uh, lo- it comes in with less weight than the 2012s came in at, but you get all that functionality back. Plus, you're going to have bays inside. That you can upgrade whether you whether it's a spinning drive or an SSD, there'll be two bays, uh, how to say, offered in the solution. So you have the ability to adapt and evolve and upgrade you know, as your needs change. You know, of course, the new machines have absolutely nothing internal that you can upgrade. In fact, they're you know, quite a, a challenge just to get apart in the first place, even for any kind of serviceability. So when you, know, you run out of space on your internal drive, or you know, when that internal drive at some point fails in the future. You know, the deck uh, definitely uh, provides a, a pretty good means to, to keep that machine relevant, functional, and, and, and doing what you need it to do you know, for your, your future uh, onward treks. Many years ago, Apple decided that they kind of wanted to go to a closed system when it came to the Mac, at least as far as expandability and upgrades. And it made a lot of people not very happy. I'm one of those people. I, I want to be able to upgrade my Mac. I want to be able to put a larger hard drive in there or upgrade it to an SSD or upgrade the RAM. But Apple seems hell-bent on making things as thin as possible, which it, it looks nice, but I, I don't care about thinness. I care about power and, and getting things done. OWC seems to be one of the only companies that I'm aware of that's actually addressing what I consider a huge problem, and that's how do we upgrade these Macs. Now, the MacBook or I'm sorry, the Mac Pro 
simply wasn't upgradable for a long time. You guys were the first company to come out with an upgrade for that product as well. Correct. Actually, in the last, uh, basically the last six, seven years of Max, we've been the first, uh, in, in many cases, the only uh, provider of uh, solutions to upgrade and keep these machines going forward. But yeah, Apple's you know, obsession with thinness. You know, we have the MacBook Air. The MacBook Air is a great machine. You know, they have the MacBook, which you know, love it, hate it, uh, whatnot. It's a little bit underpowered, but for you know, somebody needs true portability. Those are great, super thin, super light machines. You know, the MacBook Pro 2016, I think, got a little bit ahead of itself. You know, perhaps it's a, I can It's a very expensive consumer machine, or it's a a pro machine. You know, <laughs> that's lacking. Or it's a consumer machine that's been aimed at the pros, because for a lot of folks, you know, it doesn't have the, uh, it just doesn't have the features that people need today. In a few years, it, it could be great, but you look at all the, and I don't want to look at the PC side of the fence, but you look at the folks, you know, adopting Type C and Thunderbolt three and, and portable systems on the, uh, the other, uh, how to say, half of the equation, and you know, there's. They still kept the Type A ports and other ports available because I understand that you know, people need those. You know, they're not going away. They're not. You know, they say it, it's it's not something that overnight suddenly you don't need those ports anymore. And you know, they made this machine so thin you couldn't have anything other than Type C. Yeah, it's a great machine in a lot of respects, but I do have you know, some real. Uh, you know, forget the fact that you know, it's not just obviously. You know, there's a self interest. Or potentially, uh, no, well, obviously we want us to upgrade for them. You know, external storage is a far bigger part of our equation uh, than the internal upgrades. You know, we have docks, we have you know, our Thunder Bays, we have all sorts of solutions that you know, plug into these systems quite, quite happily externally. Well, OWC a, was way ahead of that game. I mean, you guys saw the writing on the wall before almost any other storage manufacturer out there and really started developing external storage capabilities for Macs that were of professional quality way before most people did. Well, we wanted to build stuff that was that we were happy with, and you know, that meant uh, building a product that had a, a pretty good appeal in the uh, in the marketplace. So, Do you think you saw the writing on the wall that Apple was trying to lock these systems in, They're making the Macs a big pen, essentially, that when it ran out of ink, you throw it away and buy a new one? You know, I, I am kind of surprised how far they went, but, you know, we actually, the deck uh, was born, you know, about three years ago. Now, we didn't take it forward at that point because at the time there was enough we could still do with the retinas where, it, you know, we kind of weighed it and kind of, you know, backed away. But these latest machines, which are, you know, glued together, I mean, just completely, you know, pretty much, you know. Inaccessible almost. They're almost, I mean, for anything that goes wrong with these, it doesn't matter what goes wrong. I mean, almost anything goes wrong in these machines, and arguably you have a brick, yeah, which is a very expensive brick today. And I have to say, you know, soldering the flash was really, really, really a surprise. Even if, honestly, they came with the profile as it is, is extremely, you know, I mean, Apple's engineering is incredible. And what they're accomplishing engineering-wise to do the things that they've chosen to do are great. You know, the function results, you know, I question their, uh, how I say, what kind of uh, you know, resources they're putting towards you know, accomplishing things that perhaps are, are different solutions that might make more sense you know, for the customer. And in terms of making, my biggest objection, you know, if, if Apple had a program where a user could come in in six months, a year, and upgrade their flash drive, even if we couldn't do a darn thing with anything internal, I think, I think that'd be great. As a customer of Apple, as a user of these machines, I'm not using a 2016. I don't know, uh, know when or if I will. You know, potentially in the future with a deck attached. Yeah, there. I was just going to say, I, I I know an upgrade for it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But is in the broader sense, to put a customer in a, in a position where if they don't buy enough storage out of the gate, they come back in six months and go, hey, that 2D6 gig drive, it's, it's already filled up. You know, can I get an upgrade? You know, how do I get more storage? And they say, well, buy a new machine. That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, that's after, I mean, if this was a $500 machine or a $1,000 machine, yeah, okay, maybe. That's like, that could potentially, uh, I mean, I, I don't like it in general, but that's more, you know, that's something you can potentially deal with. But when you're spending a, at a base level, you know, $2,500 plus on a 15 inch machine, and that machine is a dead end. That's really, uh, that's a tough pill to swallow. And you look at, you know, what the PC side of the fence offers, in terms of for that kind of spend, you know, it's it's it is a little concerning that Apple jumped the gun this far. And the other thing I'll put out there, 
Now, I understand Apple wants to see these machines get replaced more often, but people expect Macs to last a long time. And they do. They build them great. These machines, by and large, really have exceptional longevity. But that longevity is compromised when users aren't able to upgrade them, to enhance, evolve the machines you know, as time goes by. The Mac Pro 2013, you know, I've never been a super fan of it. I mean, I, everybody in the marketplace, they wanted the Silver Tower Thunderbolt, not some new engineering right. you know, you know, masterpiece that shrunk everything down to the, the little cylinder. Cylinder's nice, other than we now have four-year-old technology out there that doesn't compete with you know, what somebody can build on the other side it's, of the fence. It's embarrassing a, that that's it, Apple's desktop pro offering and it's four-year-old technology at this point. With no means of I mean, I was talking to... Uh, this is a guy working in 4K and working now in 8K. And he said, you know, I, I can't even upgrade the G. If I could upgrade the GPUs, it'd be great. You know, this machine would still be usable today. It'd be, I'd be pushing it. But nonetheless, everything is, is closed and there is no way to do a GPU upgrade for that. I mean, Apple you know, is, I mean, it's a proprietary. It, it's possible for us to build a GPU card for that machine. Right. But it would be completely uh, you know, off the, uh, the mark for us to uh, provide what is necessary for that GPU card to work in that machine. So it's, it's just, it's sad. It's done, though. Apple wants this replacement cycle. And there are people who buy new machines every one to two years. They just want the latest and the greatest. Historically, you got a really good return, a really good maintenance of your investment in Apple's because that aftermarket would have served the machines. You could add memory to them. You could upgrade the drives. You could service these machines. And you had a great foundation that lasted. And you had, you know, how do I say, you know, the means for customers that wanted to just replace versus upgrade and, and service to get, you know, 70, 80 percent of their machine value back, even, you know, going on, you know, two years, you know, past their initial buy date. Today, these machines see their value, especially the ones with smaller drives or the lower memory configuration. They plummet in value because sad. The, the perception is, you know, limited in terms of what you can do with them. In fact, it was interesting. Uh, the Retinas and the uh, MacBook Airs, the 2013 to 2015 models, you know, they actually saw a bump in uh, value after our upgrades came out, after we started shipping SSDs <laughs> for those models. Because suddenly you weren't limited to that little 128 or 256 drive that you might have, you know, that somebody might have gotten when they first uh, bought it. So my last question here, there's these memes that everyone's seen on Facebook or Twitter or something, and it's the the hold my beer right and by that i mean and and owc has this apple comes out with a product and everybody's doom and gloom you can't upgrade it oh this is terrible you can't upgrade it there's no way to upgrade this and there's owc hold my beer because you're going to go out there and do it where does that mentality come from and and how do you maintain that year after year after year you know, it's at this point, it's 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 just part of what we are. It's I mean, ingrained. It's, uh, it's ingrained. I mean, with the will, there's a way. There's always a solution. And you know, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it's about max. You know, we're all about you know getting the the maximum uh, how to say benefit out of all technology, and it's it's second nature. I, I don't know where it, it is. What it's it's just it's part of our core. And these machines, I mean, again, Apple continues to build, by and large, really, you know, they build great hardware. They build hardware that's you know, a, a quality level that's you know, pretty well unmatched. And you know, we're, just, we're just there to make sure that people can get the most from it. Well, Apple makes good products, and you guys are making them great products. So from a lot of Mac users that uh, rely on OWC, I mean, my latest purchase was a 21-inch iMac that I bought from you because it's faster than what I can get from Apple at a much better price. So... Thank you for all the Mac users out here. Please continue the good work because they're not going to open up these machines anytime soon. So we rely on OWC that if we buy this new thing, we know eventually someone's going to come out with an upgrade and it's going to be OWC. So thank you for that and uh, keep up the great work. We'll keep it cranking. And, hey, you know, I still hold out hope that Apple's going to see the light and realize that you know, there is a benefit to you know, giving maintaining some serviceability as opposed to trying to turn these into appliances. They're going to be very self-fulfilling with this vision that, man, most people just need an iPad. You know, why do we even sell laptops? Which is unbelievable coming from, you know, effectively the top of Apple. But I hear there's noise from the middle, the inside, and, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll see some. If they listen to their, they got consumers, they got pro users. You know, I really, in my, and I, I got to just leave it like this. 
you know, regardless of what Apple says, the pro user uh, you know, contributes to their bottom line. The pro user has such a broad, wide, huge influence on other buyers and just visibility of Apple products. You know, taking care of the pros and at least giving them a little bit of what they ask for, you know, goes a long, long, long ways. And it's been, I'd almost say depressing, you know, watching the last few years where pros went to just rabid Apple fans to, you know, still defending Apple, but a little apologetic to now, you know, kind of on the, the fence, hey, we, we're using it still the best platform for a lot of our software. I mean, it works, it's reliable, but we're having real struggles with the hardware. And, you know, you got a lot of folks either going Hackintosh, which, you know, is really not, I mean, that's, this is mission critical stuff. I mean, that's the last thing they want to do, but they're committed to the Apple platform, but Apple's not giving them the hardware they need. Or they're just biting the bullet and saying, you know, we got to go Windows, we got to make the plunge because this is where the, the future is. And unfortunately, where Apple continues to build what really are great machines, but more of a consumer, you know, closed, you know, focus, you know, the HPs and the Dells of the world are listening to customers, looking at the needs of these pros and saying, this is, you know, this may be niche. Apple may not care about you anymore, but we do. And, you know, they might not be the prettiest machines, but they're going to give you, they're going to be reliable and give you the function that you need. And man. Apple doesn't have to give us much, you know, to uh, to kind of to, to ebb that flow and then bring people back in the fold. People are willing to spend more for their Macs. They just they just need those Macs that they're putting the premium dollars into to have the features that you know, they need to do their jobs. Yeah, absolutely. The deck is an imperfect solution to a problem that absolutely shouldn't exist. It's actually potentially the perfect solution, but it, it's for a problem that doesn't need to exist. Yeah. Larry, thanks for coming on TechFan this week. Hey, my, my pleasure, Tim, and uh, look forward to, to doing this again in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely.